Good morning, everybody. I hope all of you are doing well. Uh, we have a great group out today, a lot of people out. Welcome to all of you. If you're a first timer here, then especially welcome to you. Great to have you with us uh, in our fellowship and in our time together worshiping God. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lively group today, which I appreciate. Um, so let's keep that going as we get into the lesson here as well. Uh, we are going to go ahead and talk a little more about God's grace today. We're going to close out our study of the grace of God. We've been spending the first two months of the year really focused on grace and looking at what grace means and how God has extended his grace to all of us. And it's a very, very important topic, uh, really important in understanding grace. It's really crucial for our spiritual lives and spiritual living to have an understanding of what grace is all about. When we understand grace, we understand God better. And by understanding God better, we appreciate God more. And so we're going to be looking at grace today and a couple of other things uh, along with that. Uh, this is a continuation of something new, fresh beginnings, uh, new starts, and all of that being based in the grace of God um, that we uh, love and we have the privilege of serving. So I'm going to begin in Ephesians chapter 2, and this is where we actually began our series in Ephesians 2, verses uh, 1 through 10, and I'm going to read this, focusing in on verses 8 and 9, uh, and then we're also going to move on to talking about a different passage of Scripture today as well. But we'll start here as a way of review and setting the tone for what we're going to be doing in our lesson today. Here Paul writes, You were dead through your trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. And we describe that as the human dilemma. That is the dilemma that we find ourselves in, that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. But in verse 4, there's these couple of words that begin this passage here, this particular verse. It says, but God who is rich in mercy. And that's the transition there. We have the human dilemma but we have the divine response, and that is God's response. God, who is rich in mercy out of, the great, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then this wonderful phrase, by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then verses 8 and 9. You remember, I, uh, I, I talked about one person who said that you need to read verses 8 and 9 every day for a thousand days, for two and three quarter years. Just keep this in front of you. I don't know if you've been doing that or not, but if not, it's not too late to start. Uh, keeping this verse in front of you. Verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Grace is so wonderful. Grace truly is amazing. Grace is like learning. If, if you have ever learned how to swim, uh, it's like learning how to float on the water, how to float on your back. I used to teach swimming when I was uh, younger. I was a lifeguard and I taught kids how to swim. And uh, now that I am older, I still teach kids how to swim, mainly my grandkids, okay? I am teaching them how to swim. And so two years ago, I was working with Bradley and Tyler. Bradley's the oldest. Bradley really got it. Just one day, we'd been practicing all summer, and one day, he just got it. And there I was watching him, and he swam across the length of the pool. And then last summer, Tyler got it, uh, the younger one. And I was, you know, working with him, working with him, and then one day, and that's how it is, right? You practice, practice, and then one day, it just clicks. And there he was swimming across the pool. But I was trying to help both of them learn to learn how to float, to turn over and just float on their backs, just to feel the, the buoyancy of the water, just to let the water hold them up. Because uh, number one, if you're out and you get tired in the water, it's a good thing to know. It's a good thing to know to float, that you don't have to keep flailing and you don't have to keep kicking and you don't have to keep fighting against the water. The water will hold you up if you know how to allow the water to hold you up. It's mainly a matter of relaxing and breathing right. And so I would try to teach them that because I, if they're out in the middle of the pool and they, they get tired or they're in the middle of a group of people, then all they have to do is put their arms back, pull their head back, look up to the heavens and breathe and let the water hold them up. It's a little more to it than that, but that's pretty much it if you, if you wanna float. And let me tell you, if you float in the water, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, it is so relaxing. It is meditative, and you just you can actually feel like I'm, I'm one with the water now. I'm not fighting it. I'm not battling it. I'm just one with the water. And that's exactly the feeling of grace when you really get it. When you really get grace, you realize I'm not doing this on my own. You realize I'm not, you know, uh, kicking and flailing against God or even with God. I'm working alongside of him and he's doing most of the work. He's doing the heavy lifting in my life. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to rely on the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a beautiful thing to be so in tune with Jesus that we really begin to think like Jesus and act like Jesus and be so important be like Jesus. And all of this is the grace of God. And so I just want to encourage all of us, let's learn how to float in God's grace. Grace is allowing God to do his thing. Grace is allowing the Holy Spirit to do his thing with us. It's allowing the Bible and the church to do what they do. And then it's us just sort of walking along with them walking along with them, having a relationship with them, 
watching them work in our lives, watching them work through us, and it's a beautiful thing, the grace of God. But to really understand the grace of God, we need to make the better choice, and that is to be with God and to be with Jesus, because every day we have choices, right? I mean, that's what life is. Life is full of the decisions and choices we make, and every day we have choices. Some of them are better choices than other choices, and we've got to choose the better choice, and the best choice of all is to live with God and to be with God and to experience the grace of God. Allow Jesus to direct us spiritually. You know, you might have heard um, there's, there's um, it's, it's, it's not a new trend anymore, but it, there, there, it is a trend of, of personal coaches. And there are a lot of personal coaches that are around. And there are personal coaches that actually specialize in spirituality. I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, we used to call them discipling partners, actually, <laughs> and they, they were just a part of who we were, you know, but we've kind of gotten away from that, um, but, uh, and sometimes we can just go on healthy spiritual relationships, and that's really what they are, um, but there are people, you can actually pay them a lot of money. I've heard of personal spiritual coaches that ask for $200 an hour plus uh, to meet with somebody, to teach them spirituality. And I'm like, where can I sign up to be a personal coach, spiritual coach? That sounds pretty, pretty amazing. Um, but the thing is, you can make those choices. You can decide, I need a coach, I need a spiritual coach, I need a spiritual director. But before you make any of those types of choices, first, first decide Jesus is going to be your spiritual director. Because if you don't decide that first, None of the other choices are going to matter. That's the better choice. The better choice is first decide, Jesus is going to be my spiritual director, and I'm going to live with him every day. You know, I really am thankful for relationships I have in my life, and, and I have different relationships for different parts of my life. I have Greg Moretzky. He's out in California, and Greg is an awesome brother. But Greg basically is my, my counselor, my grief counselor. He's helped me for the past year with my grief. At the beginning of my uh, grieving, he called me every single day. I didn't have to call him. He called me every, every single day to check in with me. Steve, I want to know how you're doing. He didn't offer advice. He didn't say, get over that. He didn't say, you know, to not be feeling that. He listened, and he validated my feelings. And Greg is an amazing friend. And you know how much he charged for all of that? Nothing. Because <laughs> he's just a good guy, just a good friend. But he's trained. He he's, he's, uh, has a master's degree in counseling, and plus he has been um, uh, a, a chaplain at the hospital and has a certificate in that, and he's well-trained but he's just a good guy who's helps me a lot. And I have, for different avenues or different aspects of my life, I have people like that. And I think those things are important. Those relationships are super important. They really help me. But they wouldn't be much of a help if I didn't first decide Jesus is my spiritual director. The better choice, I want to listen to Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. In Hebrews 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, 
who share in the heavenly calling. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. That's where we start. We fix our thoughts on Jesus. In fact, the main theme of the book of Hebrews, it's an amazing book. If you haven't read it in a while, read it. It's, it's deep. It's very deep. But it's an amazing book. And the main thought is Jesus is supreme. Jesus is supreme to Moses, to Abraham, to the, the temple, to the Old Testament way of, of sacrifice and worship, to the angels. Jesus is supreme. Therefore, think about Jesus. And the Hebrew writer was saying, if you are going to get any of your thoughts right, you start, the better choice is, think about Jesus. And don't trade that for anything else. So think about Jesus. Reflect on some of these questions right here. Are you as devoted for Jesus today as you've ever been in your Christian walk? Do you look to Jesus as the model to live a faithful Christian life? Are you in the Gospels learning from Jesus? Are you enthusiastic to learn new lessons from Jesus? Is Jesus your spiritual director? Are you sitting among, amid the dust of the feet of Rabbi Jesus? That comes from an idea found in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. So you can turn there. And I want to spend a few minutes today talking about Mary and Martha. And I want to talk about making the better choice. And so let me just read this, and we'll talk about it for a few minutes. Making the better choice. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset by many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So we have two sisters in this story, and let's talk about these two sisters, and let's see what we can learn from their lives. Martha is first mentioned in the story, and Martha is found in the home, her home in Bethany. It's specifically mentioned as her home. Um, and you can actually visit the traditional spot where her home was from the first century. You can visit there today. It's, it's in Bethany, uh, and it's at, I remember it's at the top of a hill, and there's actually a, a grave there that's the traditional grave of Lazarus that he didn't use very long, but then lived more and then died again and probably lived, used it a long time after that first time, um, if you get my drift there. But she was, um, Mary was, um, I mean, they're just presented here as Martha and Mary. We don't know much about them other than that. She might have been married. It might not have just been her home, but the home of her and her husband. We can't really be sure because we just don't know the details. And we have to be careful when we don't know the details to supply details that aren't there uh, in the Bible. 
But the village we do know about, the village was located just above Jerusalem. You could still go there today. It was a very small village in the first century, and scholars believe that there was actually a leper colony within that village there. So it wouldn't, be, wouldn't have been a very popular place for a rabbi to have gone to because of the threat of being made unclean and contaminated by going there. And yet when Jesus came to Jerusalem, Jesus made it his residence. That's where he stayed at that place that might have contaminated him. Um, he didn't really care about those type of uh, social um, um, type of expectations. Uh, but you could still go there today. When we lived in Jerusalem, uh, we actually, the, the little church that we were leading there, uh, we almost every Sabbath, almost every Saturday, went uh, from Jerusalem to Bethany and worked in the Four Homes of Mercy which was a Palestinian care facility for people that needed extreme care. Uh, and we worked with the children there, and we worked with the adults there, and we tried to just make their day a little bit better. And so I have some very fond memories of Bethany uh, myself and going with the church to work there in the poor homes of mercy. But when Jesus arrived at her home, Mary immediately became busy with preparations for the guests because it probably wasn't just Jesus there. There were probably other people like his disciples there with him. And hospitality in the first century was extremely important. There was that belief that we needed to, you needed to um, take care of people because you might be entertaining angels. Uh, that, that's found, uh, Abraham had that idea, but it's also found in the book of Hebrews that I just mentioned. And so Mary began getting busy, getting busy preparing the house, getting busy preparing food, getting busy because the rabbi was uh, coming to her home. Uh, I'm not a rabbi, but I'm a preacher, and I sometimes visited homes, and people have been like, oh, the preacher's at my house, the preacher's at my house, and they get so excited, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm a guy. <laughs> but I, I, there is that sense of here's this person, this rabbi, uh, coming to her house. And so she starts getting busy uh, with the preparations, which were necessary uh, because she wanted to show hospitality. They were necessary, but they were also a distraction. They were necessary and they were important, but they weren't the most important thing. And so she chose preparations over actually listening to Jesus. And that's the point that Jesus makes here. He doesn't say that preparation is bad. He doesn't say that uh, taking, you know, um, hospitality is a bad thing. But what's the better choice? You know, the fact is that in other parts of the Bible, preparing for people, showing hospitality to people, serving people is actually considered a ministry. I mean, it's highlighted in other parts of the Bible. And so there's nothing, there, it wasn't that she made a bad choice, okay? That's not a bad choice to do that. It's actually a really good choice. And it's actually a choice that is highlighted in other scriptures. We talk about it like a servant's heart, having the servant's heart, which is a great thing to have, looking out for the needs of people around you and taking care of needs. But when you fail when you uh, um, emphasize the servant heart to the point that you actually don't listen to Jesus and don't spend time with Jesus, you're getting things backwards and you're not focusing on 
the better choice, the better choice. Martha's ministry was serving. Her ministry was hospitality. But in this case, she allowed her ministry to be a distraction from keeping, that kept her from being close to Jesus. And I see that all the time in my own life, that I can get so busy with ministry details that I can lose sight of the most important detail, the better choice of being close to Jesus. Ministry and service doesn't have to be a distraction. It's just how we're going to prioritize them. What needs to come first is my choice of Jesus and being with Jesus and listening to Jesus. Martha chose ministry service. Mary chose to be with Jesus. Mary chose contemplation. And again, there's not an either or between contemplation of Jesus and serving. It's not an either or. It's just what's the better choice right now? What's the better choice in my life that I need to make right now? And contemplation at times is the better choice. Hospitality and service at times is the better choice. But we need to always make the choice of, it all fits underneath the canopy of being with Jesus. You know, at times preparations for service can be a distraction. Um, I think even preparing sometimes you know, I, I, and as you prepare for sermons and you, get, you know, spend time preparing for sermons, you could focus so much time on the sermon that you forget, let me just feed myself from the scriptures. And that's a problem, and I have to be careful with that. So it's a matter of making better choices. The Preacher's Commentary Series, and I think I have this in a slide, yeah, there it is right there, says this, Martha is focused on her own goal. She is so busy being gracious and polite and a good hostess that she has no time to be with the Lord. We may, say, uh, we may say that all we have, time, life, and money, is the Lord's, but does he have our attention? We may be too busy doing good works. And I think that's a good question that we need to ask ourselves. We need to protect our time of being with God. We need to protect our time of thinking about Jesus. We need to think about the Holy Spirit and make sure the Holy Spirit's working in our lives. And we need to think about grace and making sure that everything that we're doing falls with underneath the canopy of grace. Many uh, years ago, a long time ago now, I was in a staff meeting with the church in Brooklyn, and we were planning a youth and family conference there. And during the meeting, someone asked, um, I just looked over at one of the office workers that happened to be attending the meeting and said, oh, can you take care of that detail for us? Um, and I remember Connie Bean, who was the office manager at the time. Um, <laughs> Connie's amazing. Connie is such a spiritual person and such a nurturer and so loving. And I remember this brother just looked over at the office worker and said, hey, can you take care of that? And it was, it was that blunt and that, you know, just matter of fact, hey, can you take care of that? And Connie spoke up and she said, no, she can't. She's already overworked. She already has too much to do every day. She can't do that. And it was, all of us were like, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I went up to Connie afterwards and I said, Connie, thank you. You are Jesus. 
You were Jesus at that point, protecting people, taking care of people in the office. And I appreciate your heart. And I appreciate you doing that. Sometimes what we have to do is we have to be Connie for ourselves. We have to be the person that says, no, I can't do that. No, I'm too busy to do that. No, because you know, if you take it on, something's going to get pushed out. And what might get pushed out is your relationship with God. What might get pushed out is your time with Jesus. What might get pushed out is your prayer time, focusing on grace, focusing on faith. And you can't allow that. And so sometimes we have to step up and we have to be the Connie in our own lives. And we have to be able to say, no, I can't do that. For a long time in my life, I had a hard time saying no. And I would just take on one thing after the next, after the next. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. And I was just running ragged. And it's only over like the, even the last five years that I've learned to say no. I remember the first time I did it, Ed Anton, a really good friend, Ed Anton called me and asked me if I could do a particular video on church history talking about, um, talking about the restoration movement. And if you don't know any of that, then just a, a video on church history, okay? <laughs> he wanted me to do an hour presentation on church history. Um, and I said, no, I can't do it. And he was shocked. And he said, Steve, you never say no. I said, yeah, I'm learning to say no. <laughs> You're right. I never say no. I'm learning to say no. And he said, well, thanks for allowing me to be the first person that you say no to. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> and I said, well, Ed, you're my friend, and I know you want the best for me, right? And he said, yeah, 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 thanks. <laughs> but we were kidding each other and having fun with each other. Uh, but I needed to learn that lesson. And the fact is, one of the points of this story is it's teaching us that. There are always important things to do, but make the better choice. And in this case, Mary makes the better choice. She sits at the feet and listens to Jesus. She, and that's where this phrase comes from, the dust of the rabbi's feet. Because Jesus was a rabbi, his feet would have been dirty. He sat at the dusty feet of the rabbi, she did, and she listened. Um, she listened to Jesus. And I think that the, the main point of the story is, is that that's the better choice. It's not the only choice, and it's not that Martha's choice was, you know, just sinful and wrong, because in other parts of the Bible, it is really highlighted. It's an important thing to do. However, Jesus must be the first choice. Jesus is the better choice. Then after that, then go back and prepare. And I, I picture Jesus as he would have been so happy about that. No, Jesus, the first thing on his mind was not... Um, we need some we need some um, some pita and hummus on the table. <laughs> that was not the first thing on Jesus's mind. Um, I'm sure Jesus would have been happy to put that off later so that Martha could have heard his word. But are we making the the right choices? Mary sat and listened. She listened and she took it all in. She knew there were other things to do. She knew that, but she knew that someone. Um, that for her, the right choice was to sit and listen to Jesus. That was the better choice. And so Jesus said, 
Mary chose what is better. And really, that's the point of the story. Mary chose what is better. And it's, it's a question from the story that all of us need to ask ourselves every day. Am I choosing what is better? If you want one big idea from the sermon today, that's it. Okay, don't miss it. You could, you could hear some of the other details and miss the big idea. But the big idea is an important idea. Choose what is better. Every day, when you wake up in the morning, choose what is better. When you have a break in the afternoon, so many things you can do with your break in the afternoon, right? So many things. Choose what is better. When you first arrive home at night, after a long day, and your children are just clamoring to be around you, choose what is better. Because there are a lot of things you could choose. Choose what is better. And before you go to bed at night, there's so many things you can do right before bed at night. Choose what is better. And so what's the big idea today? <laughs> yeah, good. You didn't miss it. And because, I mean, you can get caught up in this story, and there are great details to think about in this story. And don't miss the big detail, the big idea. Choose what is better. And honestly, that's one of the things that in life, we just need to cling to that. Darrell Bach comments in this way in his commentary. Sometimes the activity associated with ministry can prevent us from more important endeavors, such as hearing God's word so that he can touch us. Service of the hand cannot supersede service with the ear, since the ear guides the heart and the hand. And I love that. I feel like that's such a good image, and I'm a guy who loves images. But instead of me just deciding, okay, I'm going to serve with my hands right now, what about serving with my ear first and hearing God and hearing Jesus and then allowing that to go into my heart so my heart's in the right place so that when I actually serve with my hands, my hands are ready to serve in the name of Jesus. Choose what is better. I want to close with this idea, okay? Um, I don't know if you heard, but on the front page of the New York Times this week, on Friday, February 24th, there was an article entitled, A Spiritual Revival Spontaneously in Kentucky. And the line underneath it read, 50,000 mostly young converge on a small college, sorry, small Christian campus. And they're calling this a revival. They're calling it the greatest revival of this century, and maybe the greatest revival of the last two centuries. And that's amazing. Um, and it began on February 8th at Ashbury University, which is very close to Lexington, Kentucky. It's a small town of some 6,000 people. And it's a small Christian college in the Wesleyan tradition, and they that's John Wesley, think um, conservative Methodist church, and think um, uh, Bible study. That's what Wesley was really into, and revival. He was really into revival. And this uh, lasted for about two weeks. It actually started after a Friday chapel service. Uh, Lee and I went to a small Christian college in West Tennessee, actually not too far from uh, the location of this college. And 
we had chapel services every day and they took attendance. <laughs> and so I think you're allowed to miss three a semester and then you had to talk to the dean uh, after that, um, and, um, but there were ways around it. I mean, there were guys taking attendance and you could just pass them a couple of dollars and they would check your name off, you know, as if you were there. <laughs> it's, yeah, the beautiful things of living, of being at Christian college, yeah. <laughs> um, and I can, rem I, I, as I picture this, I can, I picture all the chapel services that I sat through in my four years of college. And um, what happened at this chapel service is, after the service ended, the students, some of the students, a small number of students, just decided to stick around. They just stayed and they kept singing. And they stayed and they read scripture. And they stayed and someone shared their testimony, kind of like Chenard shared his testimony with us today. And they just kept staying. And one girl said, well, I left for a while because I had class and then I came back out of class and I heard singing in the chapel. And so I was drawn to it and I went back in and there they were, they were still singing. And so I spent the rest of the day with my friends just singing. And then somebody decided to post it on TikTok. And then they posted it on other social media and then they just started calling people. And then the old fashioned way happened, word of mouth just started spreading. There, there are kids that are locked up on this chapel, not really locked up, but just making a decision. They're just going to stay in chapel, and they're going to keep singing, and they're going to keep praying, and they're going to keep reading scripture and sharing testimony, and the word got out, and people started coming. They came just to see. They came just to experience. Some said, the Holy Spirit is here. Come and see. And people went to, to see what the Holy Spirit was doing, what, what was going on on this campus. And they started driving. They actually got in their cars and they drove. Some drove from Utah to Kentucky, from Florida to Kentucky. And they kept coming and kept coming. And it lasted for two weeks. There was one point where the administration decided, okay, we're going to stop it at one in the morning. At first, it was going all night just all night and into the next day. Uh, and people were, would go out and they would, bring, they would bring groceries back and they brought uh, mattresses from their dorm rooms and set them in the chapel so that some people could go off in a corner and sleep for a while, you know, and then come back and join again. Uh, there were people that did Chick-fil-A runs, you know, which I would so have been into, you know, let's go get some Chick-fil-A for everybody. Uh, that would have been awesome. Um, and, uh, but this just kept going and they, through the night. And then the administration decided, you know what? It's getting a little smelly in here. Uh, <laughs> let's stop at one and let's start back at, at, I think it was seven or eight. But let's allow uh, uh, people to come in and clean up a little bit, okay? And so they did that for a few days. And then finally, after two weeks, the administration um, was like, uh, this is amazing. And they were, they were just... They were blown away. The administration, I mean, if you've ever been to a Christian college as we have, um, you, you expect the chapel service to happen, but you never expect it to turn into that. And they finally said, you know what? We, 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 need, to, um, we need to pause this for a bit. So right now it's paused. It actually happened during the Super Bowl Kids didn't watch the Super Bowl. 
They stayed in chapel uh, on that Sunday. And 50,000 people showed up. 50,000 people. Not all at one time, but over the days. At times there were um, 30 minute to a two hour wait to get into chapel. So people would leave and then another person would go in for a while. But when I see this, and I just wanna re read a little bit here from the article. Um, it says, for two weeks, tens of thousands of people have made a pilgrimage to a tiny Christian college about 30 minutes south of Lexington for what some scholars and worshipers describe as the nation's first major spiritual revival of the 21st century. Drawn by posts on TikTok and Instagram, plus old-fashioned word of mouth, Christians from across the country poured through a chapel on the campus of Ashbury University to pray and sing until the wee hours of the morning, lining up hours before the doors opened and leaving only when the volunteers closed the chapel at 1 a.m. to clean it for the next day. They were hoping to experience the presence of God. Brittany Frobel, a, a Valor student, said, they were hoping to experience the presence of God. And when I, I heard about this happening before I read the article, but after I heard and I read the article, it gave me so much hope, so much hope of what the Holy Spirit can do, so much hope of what can happen in the hearts of people around us. When we're talking about Gen Z here, we're talking about the a group that has been characterized as the least religious generation to have ever come up in America. Um, and yet these are Gen Zers who are searching and drawn to finding out more about God and learning about God. And um, I, I really appreciate uh, having read this, just thinking about a couple of things, okay? You guys are with me, right? I mean, this is an amazing story, right? I mean, I was just blown away by this. I thought of a couple of things. I thought, one, we should not prejudge people. And we definitely should not prejudge a whole generation of people. Um, and, the, and here are young people that want to know about God. And we need to be, we need to help them to know about God. I thought about, as a church, as a church, are we prepared to help our young people know more about God? I think that's serious. What, what church are we presenting um, to our college students, to our high school students, many of them that are scattered here right now? What, what, what church are we presenting to them? Do they see Jesus through us? Do they see the Holy Spirit in our lives? And what church are we leaving our children and our grandchildren? I think those, that's super important for us to think about uh, right now. And um, also, I thought about, and I just want to say this to the high school students right here, okay? I know people say things about the, gen, the Generation Z, about your generation, and I won't even say some of the things that they say. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the reports um, from the media, the reports from sociologists, they say certain things. But whatever is said, do not allow that 
define you. Because you're bigger than that. I actually had a couple of stats in here, and I, I asked Diego to delete those slides. Because <laughs> I don't even want to put things in your mind, things in your brain that are said about Generation Z. Don't be defined by it. Just you, you are on your journey, you know, and let your journey be informed by God and by Jesus and by his word and by grace. And if there's anything that any of us can do to help you on your journey, please reach out. We want to help. We don't always know what to do. I don't know what to do, um, but I want to help. And so if, you, if you'll reach out, we, you know, if, if nothing else, we'll show up. I mean, you, we will. We'll be there for you. My son struggled in high school. Actually, both of my kids did. Chelsea early on, and then um, she started thinking right. And then Daniel really struggled in high school. Um, and when we had... But later on, when things got really, really down for him, he knew where to come, and it was to the church. He knew that Iris loved him, and he knew that this was a safe place for him, and that's what we want to have for everyone. I can remember Daniel. Um, we had a high school graduation for him in our backyard. And we invited all of our friends and all of our, you know, and our friends are members of the church. <laughs> and so basically we had a, 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 whole, a church assembly in our backyard for Daniel's high school graduation. We said, you can invite anybody you want. And so he invited, I think, four friends from high school to be with him. Um, and when... I don't know when it was, but toward the end, he came up to me and he said, he thanked mom who did most of the work. He said, this has been amazing. And he looked at me and he said, dad, I didn't know if anybody was gonna show up. I treated people so poorly. I didn't know if they were gonna show up. And that cut him more than anything else and actually, helped him more than anything else in his life. He saw the love of God through people. Because, I mean, isn't that the way love is experienced? We can read the Bible and learn about the love of God through the word of God, and that's a good thing, and it's there for us to do that. But the way people really love to learn love is through hugs and through people being there and through being provided safe places to talk about whatever they're feeling and did not come back on them. They're just heard and, um, and listened to. That's what we need to be. And so for all of the Gen Zers that are here today, I hope that you will reach out to us. And if nothing else, we'll be there. If nothing else, we'll show up because that's what God has showed us and taught us how to do. So I just want to close with this idea. Um, there is something happening in the world right now 
We don't know exactly all of what it is, but sometimes all we hear are the negative things. Here's something positive about a group of people, 50,000 people or more. And I'm sure other stories will come out where it wasn't everything it was said to be and that sort of thing. But for now, after two weeks, this is the story. As people are searching, are we ready to receive them? Are we present for them? Will we be there physically? I mean, when people show up, will we physically be ready for them? But most of all, will we be ready for them spiritually? Do we have the spiritual IQ to be able to help people as they're searching for God? Are we maturing ourselves? Are we making the better choice? Okay, so I just want to go back to one thing. What's the big idea here? <laughs> yeah, choose the better choice, okay? You might not just leave with that illustration about Ashbury University, and I get that, because mostly what we remember from sermons are stories. But I want you to walk out of here with that idea in your mind, this week, make the better choice. Every day, make the better choice. In the morning, make the better choice. When you have that break in the afternoon, make, you can say it with me, make the better choice. When you come home in the evening, make the better choice. Before you go to bed at night, make the better choice. That's the lesson for today. Amen. <laughs>